Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, and I'm joined here by my ever-wonderful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing good. Hope uh, your Tuesday is going well. Everything is going beautiful. Uh, we're having a fabulous uh, start to 2020. Uh, we'll talk about some of those things later. But we want to remind everybody that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books. So visit kensingtonbooks.com and also Suspense Magazine. And please visit suspensemagazine.com for more information. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we put a lot of free stuff up there all the time. So make sure you check all that out. But we are really, really pleased tonight to bring back uh, a real good friend of ours, Jeff. He is none other than uh, number one New York Times bestselling author, Mark Greeny, where he's going to be talking about his latest book, which is a Green Man novel, number nine in the series now, called One Minute Out. Of course, Mark uh, also co-authored, uh, I believe it was um, eight books with uh, Tom Clancy um, in the Tom Clancy series. Not, it was actually seven books, my fault. Uh, he did seven books, so it's going to be a great time tonight. Oh, I'm a huge fan, so I'm thrilled, cannot wait. Yes, so without any further ado, let's just bring on our friend Mark right now. So, Mark, thanks so much for coming on, man. How you doing? Hey, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. No problem at all. We appreciate you coming on. Yeah, it's good to be here. Yes. So, let's just jump right into it here. Like we said, this is now book nine, man, of the Gray Man series. Uh, again, every time I talk to you, we always look back and, and we're always like, you know, we talked to Mark when the first one came out, The Green Man, and it was great talking to you at Thriller Fest, and man, look at you now. Your career has just skyrocketed into the stratosphere with, of course, the Tom Clancy novels and your Green Man novels taken off, so give us a little bit about One Minute Out. Well, like, as you just said, it's the ninth book in the series, and so this one um, has the, uh, the, the protagonist, the guy named Court Gentry, who is a former CIA operations officer who became uh, kind of a freelance assassin for hire, but only taking contracts that he felt were righteous. And um, now at this stage of the series, nine books in, in some books he is still sort of liaisoning with the, uh, with the CIA, and in others he's a little bit more of a solo act. And in this book he's a solo act, and he's um, on a very, what he thinks is a straightforward mission to assassinate a, a Bosnian war criminal, and in the midst of that, he uncovers a large uh, human trafficking pipeline, and he kind of gets attached into this pipeline to where he it becomes very important to him personally to um, to kind of rescue some of these uh, these women who are being trafficked around the world, and that uh, sort of all takes place in the first uh, thirty pages or so, and then you go from there. <laughs> Could you talk a bit about the villain in this book? Because you, as you said, you think it's a straightforward. It's this, you know, warlord guy. But the guy who's leading the human trafficking, holy crap, he's a sleazebag. <laughs> Could you talk? He about is that? a sleazebag. <laughs> I'm glad you picked that up. Um, no, his name is Kenneth Cage, and I did a lot of research on human trafficking and was surprised by a lot that I found. Um, it's not the first time where I've gone into. Uh, a book with this big grandiose idea and just think I'm just going to just kick ass and take names and just write it and I already know it. And then when I start digging deeper, the more I dig into the research, the more I need to research more and the more I realize it's like, okay, I have these, you know, these uh, assumptions that aren't necessarily correct. And um, 
I definitely looked at the Jeffrey Epstein uh, situation, which probably a lot of people know about because it's in the news now. And um, mm-hmm. and I looked at this guy, and, and, and there's a lot of different types of human trafficking um, and a lot of different manners in which people are trafficked and sold into slavery and, and otherwise manipulated into slavery. And so I, I, I researched it all, and I kind of picked and choose to create this um, kind of uh, this pipeline, this consortium of, of, of uh, illegal operations that are, that are trafficking these women. And at, at the head of it, I wanted it to be an American because there are Americans involved in this. And, and so many times with these big uh, international thrillers, you have this evil foreign person because, it, you know, Americans would never be, you know, <laughs> act like that and and my research showed me you know there's you know human trafficking in in the united states of america is a huge thing too so i i created this character who's a, who's a billionaire his name's kenneth cage um he's a little bit like jeffrey epstein in a lot of ways he's different and um he lives this very uh a kind of a family life but secretly he is running this entire uh consortium of, of sex traffickers that that go all over the globe you know, I, I'm really glad that you pointed out about the United States and the problems that's here because that's not something that you see in the news every day. That's always, I mean, I, I told somebody one time that I was, you know, that my that Shannon and I are going to move over to Thailand and Cambodia, and they're like, oh, my God, why would you want to do that? Sex trafficking is terrible. And I looked at them, and I said, you don't think that there's not sex trafficking in New York, L.A., Miami, Chicago, Philadelphia, Seattle, every single big city in the United States, and probably some other outlying cities? I said, you're fooling yourself. Yeah, it, that's absolutely true. And and it's, it's like that with all sorts of crime. I, I run into that a lot because I do a lot of international travel. Yeah. Sometimes, I go, sometimes I go places where... And your culture. You know, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but, it, you know, like... It, conventional wisdom of of friends or just people that you know like i know from facebook or whatever fans they'll be like you know why would you go there it's like it's so dangerous and i live in memphis tennessee which is always in the top <laughs> of crime Sorry. in the u.s and, and I, I i go to uh you know and i love my town and nothing bad has ever happened to me you know like directly i i tell people it's like it's like we're number five in violent crime in america i've never seen a violent crime in, you know in my life right but i can get i can get in my car and i know exactly where to go if i want to see a violent crime yeah I just don't like do i ain't going but, to east i'm not going to south central la yeah but i know exactly. it's there yeah so there, there, there's things like that but you know like i'll go to mexico and you know over by tulum or that you know the 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 eastern side and people are like, oh, my gosh, you're going to Mexico? And I'm like, I promise you, I've, I've been there many times, and I'm safer there than I am, you know, like 10 blocks from my house or, I don't know, right. 30 blocks from my house or something. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, you know, it, it's, it's, it's all a big thing where we sort of feel insulated because we know our area. And so we don't think that the human trafficking happens here. We do think of that's a thing that, if, you know, in Thailand that, it, you know, is, is pervasive. And, and certainly – it is there, but there's there's a lot of it all over. And and I, I I remember reading international thrillers when I was young and thinking like the bad guys always had to be these foreigners, you know, that were like so different from us because we weren't like that. And then you'd start reading different types of novels, like Sidney Sheldon or something like that, where it's like you know some <laughs> rich American Wall Street guy is 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 the the villain, you know. And I always thought right. that was like. Yeah, we can all be villains. I, I want to write about both. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be, you know, like, be some sort of like, you know, 
social justice warrior and say only Americans can be bad and everybody else is good, and I don't want to be like where it's only the only the foreigners in the countries we, that are hard to pronounce are the bad guys. You know, I'm just sort of equal oppor- there's equal opportunity assholes if I can say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can say anything Absolutely. you want. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, the, the one thing is, is of course, you know, you have now a great library with with nine books of of the Gray Man. So, what is the biggest thing that brings you back to to the computer to want to keep, you know, finding out and, and keep exploring more about them? I mean, is it the plots? Is it the creation more of the characters? You know, what's your biggest draw besides wanting to eat to come back to the computer? <laughs> That's a great question, and because I think the answer is different in different books. I'm, um, I'm very much drawn into the character himself and the psychology of the character, and I never want to make that like the main focus of the book because I don't want it to get dry and boring. But, but I, I like, <clears throat> I always like to think of the ramifications of things that you don't think about, and when you know when you watch an action film or read you know this this type of book. And I, you know, I want the character to pay a price physically and mentally for the decisions he makes. And, you know, morally, does he get a little astray when he has to, you know, do things that, you know, to, for a greater good and, and all these sorts of questions. So each book, there's always something about the book that, that drives me to get up in the morning and write it. And in this one, it was very much, Court himself, the the personality of the hero. I mean, obviously, it was the you know like shining a light on on human trafficking. As I learned more about it, I was like, oh my god, why don't I know this? And it's like, I, you, you know, you don't want to lecture people and you don't want to turn it into right. a lesson. But at the same time, you like to talk about things that you think other people will find interesting. But but in this book, it was Court's moral compass that told him he's partly responsible for these women because of some things that happen early in the book. He thinks that they're already bleak situation became more bleak because of something he did to try to, to try to do the right thing, but, but it didn't work. So he, he kind of feels drawn towards them and, 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 and um, kind of helping their situation. And that really drew me in because I, you know, I thought about like, what if you're in that situation you're trying to do the right thing, but the right thing turns out to be the wrong thing. And then right. you're sort of sucked along and you feel more, you know, morally obligated so I, I just remember for this book, as I was writing it um, last year, it was it was always just kind of like, where's the gray man's head going to go today when the when you know the the problem gets worse or the tension gets higher. Hmm. Um, I was going to talk a bit about Court Gentry because um, he has to make some decisions, and it kind of reminded me of uh, you know Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, with the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Mm-hmm. Um, what, so I'm wondering, um, talk a bit about Court Gentry's sort of moral code, because in this case, it almost jeopardized the entire operation he was working on. Yeah, and, and I've done that before. I remember um, a few books back, I was, I was coming up with ideas, you know, I was in, in the middle of the book, and I was writing it, and I was like, I realized that what I wanted court to do, the average reader is probably going to think he should do the other thing. They're going to disagree with the hero. And <clears throat> that might be a cardinal sin for a writer. I don't know. But I just remember going like, well, that's kind of fascinating. If I was reading a book and, like, the hero says, I'm going to do this thing because of my own moral code, 
and me as the reader go, yeah, but that's not the right thing for the most people. You know, that's the, you know, that, that's, you know, that's not the good that I would choose. Um, you know, like how would I feel about that? And I finally just decided, you know what, I'd like that. I, th- I, I think that's interesting. And so he does things in, in books that the reader might disagree with, but I do think it's true to him as a character, and, and he does have this moral code to where he feels like he um, is a tool or a vessel that has been used um, without his, uh, you know, with, without him being at the reins, um, to mix metaphors there. Uh, and, and he's now at a point in his life where he does what he think is, thinks is right, damn anybody else, including America. I mean, he's, he's definitely a patriot and, and a paladin and all these sorts of things, but at the same time, it's like, um, you know, I, I think in one of the books in Gunmetal Gray, he was trying to rescue this Chinese kid, and, and the kid wanted to go to Taiwan, and America wanted to use the, you know, sort of like pump the kid for intelligence about what he knew about Chinese hacking, and, and, and Court's like, well, that's not what he wants, and, you know, it's like freedom is what it's, what it's all about, so that was the path that he chose. And I like that in different books. You know, it's like I always want to do what I think this character would do and never just have him, his personality or his actions steered towards the plot, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Nice. You know, Mark, you, know, you, you write about highly political things and governments and things of those natures. And, you know, you see some military thriller writers out there, I would say a good 75% of them, you know what their politics are that you can tell by what they write in the books nowadays. But you steer away from that, kind of like when we talked with Brad Thor, you know, he's steering away from that because it, it, to him it's just like it, there's no point in doing it and he doesn't make it that way. So what was, you know, what's kind of your reasoning why you decided to just stay out of the, poli- you know, the political thing and just keep everything nice and neutral? Well, it is a minefield. <laughs> I, I, the, the, <laughs> to say the, the least. best answer the best answer I can give you for that is I wrote, uh, as you said at the, in your opening, I wrote um, seven Jack Ryan books. And yeah. the politics aren't really hidden in Jack Ryan books. Um, early on, when I was writing with Tom, um, they were very much uh, a forefront to the story. And, you know, I'm the guy that got 5,000 emails from people that, you know, like you're 50% of the people are like, hell yeah, and 50% of the people are like, you're, you're a piece F of you. crap. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. And, and, um, and so, you know, you realize that's kind of an unforced error. If you're going to go into the politics, you, you better just do it because you think the politics are more important than readers. And, and I really want every reader to experience the story on a personal level. And if it doesn't jive with what they think is right or they feel like they're being lectured. I mean, I definitely, you know, there's opinions in my books for sure. You know, um, uh, the big thing about human trafficking that's in this book is that there's not a lot of concern about it, um, at, you know, as a big government levels. And, and mm-hmm. there could but be different reasons. But that's the fault of both people. That's the fault of both sides. It, it is the fault of both yeah. sides. But, like, it, it, it made me think of this thing, and I don't – this is kind of weird. I probably won't talk about this much on my, my tour or whatever, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it at you guys and see how All right, that works. works. All right, uh, that's good. <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, this is literally my first interview out of uh, hundreds I'll do for, for one minute out, so uh, gosh only knows. Um, but, but, you know, it's funny because I would read all these things about how uh, governments don't really focus on human tra- – or, or on sex 
trafficking and, and as being, you know, this big crime and stuff like that. And I just remember, just as an example, and I've been sort of all over Europe, and I, and I noticed this in The Hague and, and other big international cities, but I remember being in Geneva, Switzerland, where there's all these non-governmental organizations, all these big wigs working, who work in Geneva. They're all focused there, and, you know, there's EU stuff and NATO stuff, and all, all this stuff that happens in Geneva. And I remember checking into this hotel. I just needed a hotel for a couple of nights while I was there researching uh, one of my Gray Man books. And the hotel was an absolute conduit for prostitution. I didn't know that when I checked in, um, I swear. And, uh, but, but, but the thing was, is like I would see all these sort of like government officials like walking across the bridge um, to these, uh, you know, to these like dens of prostitution on their lunch break, you know. And then I, it, it, as I was researching this book, I, I thought back to that, and I just thought, like, wow, I wonder if this is seen as, you know, like, you know, that sex slavery or whatever is, is not seen as a big problem because... Um, They're engaging you know, in it. It's, it's, yeah, exactly. It's so pervasive, you know. And, it, and w- when, when that struck me, it, it was just like a punch in the gut, and it just made me think, you know, like, wow, you know, this is, this is the world in which we live, and, and, and a lot of times... You, you think that, well, everybody's basically good and this or that, and I'm not saying anybody's evil, but at the same time, um, a lot of evil was generated from people's actions, and, and that just was a fascinating thing to me that, that um, I wanted to explore in the series. Well, you uh, get to travel and research, which is pretty awesome, and you may or may not be having fun. We haven't clarified that yet, but... Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if there, when you, you mentioned assumptions earlier, when you're going to research, you sort of have a mindset of what you're going to do. And I'm wondering if there was ever something you discovered while traveling for research that completely changed the course of the book you were working on. It happens uh, regularly. In fact, the reason I travel as much as I do is because the first couple times I traveled for research, I wasn't even a published author, but I was working on stuff. I realized that my preconceived notions of things were often so wrong. It's kind of like a, you have to travel like that. And I, um, I'm sure you guys know Brad Taylor. He's a good friend of mine. And I remember yeah. he and I having that conversation. Just one interviewed day. him what? with his last book, oh, Hunter, just, Hunter Killer. Yeah, 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 just interviewed Hunter him for Hunter Killer. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had this conversation. We didn't even really know each other that well. We were just having a drink one night. And I was just like, you know, I travel because, like, the first time I did it, I realized, I was going to do this totally wrong if, if, if I didn't come here and sort of like absorb the atmospherics of this area or, or you know, even something specific. And he, he said he felt the exact same way. So, you know, as, as far as like changing the story, maybe not, but you get really big ideas, you get vibes, you get, you get the atmospherics of places and you just, you just learn things. Uh, you know, I, I was talking to a lady not too long ago who had just been to Kigali, Rwanda, and she was saying how it was probably the cleanest, most beautiful city she'd ever seen, which is exactly the opposite. If I was going to write it, you told me to write a scene in Kigali, Rwanda right now, I would have, you know, placed it very, very differently. But she said that the president of Rwanda is obsessed with the nation of Singapore and wants his capital city to look like Singapore. It was just this fascinating thing, which is... You know, if you're going to write about these 
these areas, you should get them as, as correct as possible. And I just remember, like, when she said that, I was like, yep, that's why I go places whenever I can because, you know, my first notion and, and a very logical notion would be that Rwanda would be kind of not exactly the, a pristine <laughs> capital city. Right. But, you know, I, I run into uh, that yeah. stuff all the time. So I like to do it as much as possible. For, for one minute out, I went to um, Bosnia and Herzegovina, and I went to Croatia, and I went to Italy, and then I went to L.A., so these are all places that are in the book, you know, and, and um, learned a lot of things in each location. Yeah. Wow. You know, it was funny because, you know, you mentioned Tom Clancy, of course. You know, we interviewed you, I think, for um, the True Faith and Allegiance book. That, that was the last one that you wrote. And you had said yeah. that, like, when you were on tour, people were calling and saying, oh, Mr. Clancy, you know, I love your stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, he's dead. So when you're on tour as yourself, does anyone ever come Hopefully up to you and like, say it just Hopefully I didn't say it just like that, Rob. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll say it. Like, he's, he's dead. I mean, well, he's going to say passed away, died. I'm for, I, mean, I don't know. He's dead. It was harsher. So, it was harsher. Mark. He's no longer here, okay? He's, he's, he's a footnote. So, but now, like when you're on tour, to, you know, and you're out there with your book, do people quote to you and say, wow, you, you look a lot like Tom Clancy? No, I don't get that. But, you know, like, like like going back to what you were saying, it's like that did happen to me a lot where people would come up and they'd be like, Oh my gosh! I want you to sign my, you know, hat. You're the reason I went into the Navy in 1985, and yeah. and all this. And I was like, I was 16 in '85, and I'm mm-hmm. not the reason you. Were. But it, but but you know, like the thing that I was always like, uh, sir, I have two pieces of bad news for you. <laughs> not only am I not Tom Clancy, Tom Clancy sadly has passed away. So you know, it, yeah. you're just kind of like, why am I getting? And, and so when Mark Cameron took over the Tom Clancy series after me. I told him, I was like, you make the publisher give you a T-shirt that says I'm not Tom Clancy. It's like I never had one, and it would have, it would have benefited me a lot of awkward conversations. But he, he didn't get the T-shirt, and he and, he and I have had this conversation since. You know, it's, it's happened to him as well where people come up and tell them about, you know, their Tom Clancy stories from being a fan back in the 80s. Yeah. Now, okay, I'm going to kind of put you on the spot here a little bit because um, I kind of want to know, out of the nine Gray Man books, not which one was your favorite, because that one, cause that's too hard to say. You know, that's for fans to kind of decide, I think, more than maybe yeah. authors. But which one was probably the most challenging? Like, when you finished, you were like, that book just kind of took it out of me. Wow. Um, there is an answer to that, which I know. Um, but, let's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Mission Critical, which was the, the last book uh, previous to this one, the eighth book. Right. Um, was a really tough slog. I was writing this novel, Red Metal, at the exact same time, which is a big military thriller that I put out last July that I co-authored with a, with an active duty Marine lieutenant colonel that I, I'd met at the Pentagon researching Clancy, and we became friends. That book took three and a half years to write. It was 217,000 words, 600,000 all that was going on, and he and I traveled together and, and apart all over the world um, to, to research that. And um, so that was going on. I'd had, um, a bunch of personal things were going on at the same time. I'd had a couple of ankle surgeries, and I ended up getting an infection after one of the surgeries, and my marriage fell apart, and all these other things were happening at, exact, at the exact time when I was working on the book. So that made it a super tough book to write because, it, you know, as I tell people about it now, it's like, the hardest thing, when all that was going on, the hardest thing in my world was go sit there on the couch for five hours and think about your pretend story. You know, it's like, <laughs> really? 
the, the real world was kicking me, you know, in the junk, and, uh, and it was really hard to, to work. Um, it, but the story itself was fun. Like, I believed in the story. Um, it had a lot of – I like when my stories have a lot of personal things about people's families and about people's history and things like that. And so that book um, checked off all those things that are really fulfilling for me to write about and to try and, and tell them. So, you know, it, the book probably saved me <laughs> as well as, you know, felt like a curse at the time. Um, I, I just got through about three and a half years of being behind schedule with different projects. In other words, I, I can't start this book because I've, I didn't finish this book on time and this book is going to be rushed and, and it won't come in on time until I have to get to the next one. So for three and a half years, I was like that. And it was probably November um, of 19, just a few months ago, when, um, when that I got everything, you know, my, my slate cleared temporarily until I, until I go to book 10 on The Gray Man. And um, it's a great, great feeling now. So the, the next Gray Man book I do, I'm going to do it with this sort of like, uh, it's the only thing I'm focusing on. And, you know, I, I have everything's going good in my life and all this other stuff. So uh, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what that feels like to write that, a book with those conditions. That's great. Well, I, I, I'm glad to hear things are going well for yeah, you. Yeah, that's really good to Thank hear. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you you gave a great interview with the real book spy, and I love his site. Um, and oh, I yeah, would well, love I'd lo- I'd love to have you follow up with what you called macro ideas and micro ideas. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Could you talk about that? Yeah, sure, sure. People ask me all the time. They're like, you know, where do you get your ideas, and how do you keep coming up with the fresh ideas? Um, uh, One minute out will be my nineteenth book. Um, there were seven Clancy books. This is the ninth Gray Man book. I wrote one uh, standalone, or so far standalone, book, Red Metal, that I mentioned earlier. And then I was also the ghostwriter on, on two novels. Um, so this is my, One Minute Out is my, is my 19th book. And people are like, you know, like, where do you come up with the fresh ideas? And, and I always say that I have these, um, I have lots and lots of macro ideas. You know, I want to do a book about, you know, this, this evil paramilitary corporation that does this or this book about, you know, North Korea's relationship with China, you know, and how that influences American foreign policy. All, those are my macro ideas. And I feel like I could just sit here and rattle off a dozen to you right now. The mm-hmm. micro stuff is how do you get the gray man to follow a guy down the street that isn't the way you did it last year in, in a book or the year before? And, and, you know, some way you haven't done 26 times already. And so there's, there's a lot of scenarios where I'll start to write it, and I'll be like, all right, so these two guys are going to meet on the stairs, and they're only armed with knives. I'm making this up. And, 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 and I'll start to write it, and I'll go, well, wait a second, I did this in Locked On, my first Clancy book, or I did this in you know, the fourth Gray Man book or something. And, and, and so you start to say, okay, those little nuggets are, are harder to keep fresh than the big ideas. I've got a bazillion, like, big idea, you know, like, log lines, one sentence of what the book is about that mm-hmm. makes me want to go write the book. But once it gets down to it, it's like at some point the hero is going to be tailing somebody or at some point the, you know, the the hero's handler at the CIA and he are going to be in some sort of a discussion. 
And you want those things to be different and fresh. And that's what gets tougher and tougher and tougher because I really, I, I told myself from the beginning, it's like I, I love doing the Great Man books. I'll do as many as I can as long as I never do the same book twice. And, I, you know, I don't mean exactly the same book twice, sure. but, you know, like where you feel like this is a derivative of that. And um, and I, I don't want to do that. And, and it's funny, you, you know, I have so many fans, and they're so amazing, and they're always like, write faster and, you know, oh, yeah. you do two, two a that? year or, or write these forever and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'll post something on Facebook about, you know, taking my dog to the park, and, peop- and I'll get 15 people responding with, like, get back to work. You know, I, I want another gray man. And I'm like, I don't, I don't come to where you work and tell you not uh-huh. to take a lunch break. But, but, but you hear all these things, and you realize it's like I'm the one that's got to fight for the integrity of keeping this stuff as, as good as I can possibly make it. It's like people's, people's um, drive for it is, is amazing, and I'm so lucky to have it. But if I just listened to that and just cranked out as many books as people said they want, they wouldn't want them anymore because the quality would would start to plummet. Right. So I'm the one, you know, like I always say when people are like, write faster, I'm always like, I'm not painting a fence, man. You know, it's like right. I, I, I'm trying to think of these things and, and make it different and make it fresh and make it fun and make it cool and, and be something that I would want to read and, um, you know, you can't do that five times a year. Sorry, you know. I wish I could bang them out like that. I wish I were. I wish I were a machine that could generate that. But the reality is, is like no. all you, you're the one who's in control of your integrity. Well, my editor is too. My editor would, you know, like I, I always know if I turned in a, a crappy book, my editor is going to throw it right back at me. So you know, there's there's a couple of people in, in the quality control department in in my career. Well, I mean, yeah, let me say for the record. Well, hold hold on, John. For the record, yeah. Mark, I'm a huge fan. Take all the time you yeah. want because I know when I finally have your book in hand, I'm going to love it. So thank you for that. I love that. I, I appreciate that so much. I mean, the thing is that if you could write two books a year, you probably would because let's face it, that's more money. You get paid by the book. But I mean, come on. I mean, the way that military, especially like your books, are written, it. You, you, it, they they got to take some time. They have to. They have to be that way. They, too, take some time. It, it, it's really funny because um, I have written two books a year, basically every year for the last 10 years, but, like, one would be a Clancy and one would be right. a Gray Man, and, 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 and that feels kind of fresh. If they, if they were all Gray Man, I would have replicated things. Um, but but I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm doing as, as, as many as I can, and uh, I'll probably, you know, maybe take a little bit longer at some point to write Gray Man books. Like I still have ideas and um, I'm really psyched to start the 10th book, but it's, uh, you know, it, it does get, it does get tougher for sure. Yeah. Can you talk about Hollywood and uh, what we're going to see from the Gray Man? I think there's some news out there. Yeah, there's, there, there's a little bit of brand new news, which I probably can't talk about yet. Um, but okay. in the general, in oh. the general sense, Sony owns the rights to uh, Sony Pictures owns the rights to the Gray Man, and they've um, they've they've had some different directors circling it over the past couple of years. But um, there is a little bit of new information about that, and it does look like there's some uh, directors who are exactly the people I would like to be involved in it um, that are that look like they might possibly be getting back involved. Um, I, so it sounds like so it sounds one, like movie and not TV though. I don't know for sure. I assume movie okay. because the the last thing that was written was a screenplay for for a film. 
Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that that what will actually come out will be that. You know, that I was it based that, off of a certain pr- book. It was based off of the first book, The Gray Man. Okay. And, um, it, the, the screen. There's been four screenplays, or four different screenwriters write screenplays for The Gray Man in the last ten years. So it's kind of amazing. <laughs> um, Have I, you written one I, yet? Pers- oh, I've read them all. And uh, no, no, no. Have you written one? one? Oh no, I have not written okay. one. Um, kind of by design. I, yeah. I I tried to write a screenplay for a few years, a, a standalone story, and I really believed in the story, but I didn't think it was good as a screenplay. Um, but I thought it was an amazing. You know, I'm not. I don't want to say I'm, I'm amazing, but you know, like I, I thought it was a story I really uh-huh. believed in. Let's just say that. And um, <clears throat> and Audible, the audiobook company, um, asked me if I would. Uh, write something for them. They, they're doing a new thing where they hire actors and they do sound effects and music and all this stuff and they create these audio plays. And so they were like, you know, would you be interested in doing an audio play? And I said, well, let me give you this screenplay, which is like, you know, a screenplay is it's very, it's a format, it's a template that you kind of have to fit into and you guys probably know this and, you know, your screenplay's got to be 90 to 120 pages I was like on page 213, and I was like halfway through with the story. So I knew I was not a screenwriter. I'm a guy that writes <laughs> 200,000 word books. It's really yeah. hard to write uh, a 90 page screenplay. Um, but I said, you know, I, I gave the Audible guys this uh, screenplay I was working on. I was like, if you like this story, I will develop that for audio, and they and they liked it. And so I did. I developed that for audio, and hopefully it'll come out this year. Um, it, it's all turned in and in the can. But um, that's a story that I'm also trying to shop in uh, in Hollywood as well. But cool. I, I'm not a screenwriter. I've, I've, the screenplays I've read, uh, two of the four were magnificent, and the other two were um, they were good screenplays. They just didn't feel like they had anything to do with <laughs> my book, you know. But as okay. a writer, obviously, I'm the guy that's going to say that. Right. So the best place for everyone to find out information that you're going to post is your website, right? MarkGreenyBooks.com. And from there yeah. they can reach you on social media. Yeah, absolutely. And then if, you know, if you go on my website, MarkGreenyBooks.com, um, there, there, I have a newsletter that comes out once a month that has like what's going on, where I'm going to be on tour and this and that. And it, I don't bombard you and spam you with the <laughs> messages all the time or anything like that. So it, that's a really good uh, venue um, I'm kind of all over social media, and um, and you you can find me there. Nice. Well, Mark, hey, man, we want to thank you so much for coming on and talking to us here for a little bit about One Minute Out. Again, book nine in the Gray Man series. And the book comes out, I believe, what, February 18th, right? February 18th. Yeah. February 18th, yeah. Okay. And, and it's, it's going to really be in all the folks. formats? It is going to be, yeah, it, it comes out in audio book that same day, and obviously Good. e-book and, and and uh, okay. and uh, you know, and and hard hardcover. Yeah. What, Jeff? <laughs> oh, it's 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 fabulous. So everybody should pick it up and read it. Oh yeah, you did the review for Thanks, uh, what book list? Correct. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well hey man, I'm glad again, to hear you liked it. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations again. I just I, I we I just. I just love seeing authors that we interviewed when we were young and you were young, and we've all kind of grown up together, and it's great to see your career just, like I said, take off through the stratosphere. And, um, and, and there's going to be more Clancy. Are you doing more Clancy? I, am, I don't think I'm doing more Clancy. I, I did seven and six years, stepped away a few years ago, and, and I told myself. Mark Cameron's doing them now, right? Is he doing yours? Yeah, Mark, 
Yeah, Mark Cameron's doing them. And I, I told myself, I was like, once I climb off this train, I may want to get back on someday, but the train's going to keep going. So you have to be sure. But I've done seven and six years, and I felt like, you know, I should keep the story stressed you know, like super fresh. But I do sure. want to say that, like, I, I remember in 2010, I met you, John. Uh, you're like yeah. one, literally one of the first people that, you know, took the time to, to interview me and, and, yeah. and ask me what was going on. And it, it, I, I still remember those first, like, four or five people that took any any interest in me at all back then. So it, it, it's super great that we're Yeah, uh, we hung out at Thriller Fest that first time, too, I remember. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. And I was looking, I was like, damn, a guy just as big as me. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you know, because yeah. most of us authors, you know, they're you know they're kind of short and whatever. But I was like, God, that guy's big as me. I was like, that's nice. So that was good. Yeah, I get so. I get people all the time at book signings that say you're taller than you are on your on your book, and I'm always like, I, I hope have so. No idea what that, I, I'm like, I have no idea what that means. It's like it's only four inches. Inch <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like I hear that all the time, and I'm like, I can't even fathom what you're trying to tell me. But that's don't even good, know. I guess. I know. All right, man. Hey, well, we wish you nothing but the best. Again, thanks so much. Everybody, again, the book is called One Minute Out, book nine in the Gray Man series, out February the 18th in whatever format you want it in. So, Mark, thanks again so much, and we will talk with you soon. Jeff and John, thanks so much. I enjoyed it. All right, man. Bye-bye. Thanks so much, Mark.